Hope you guys are doing well. I want to say a special thanks to those of you guys who are joining us from home to because you're allowing us to meet here uh, in a space, so thank you. We're going to look at uh, what we talked about two weeks ago was priests, prophets, and kings. So Jacob started that off, and we looked at priests. We're going to continue on from there. I want us to first look at Haggai chapter 1, verse 7. Haggai chapter 1, verse 7. But even before we go there, let's, let's do a quick recap of what we did two weeks ago. So we looked at Jesus, who is our eternal high priest. He is the one who has gone before us. He is not just the high priest who is before the Father. And he's not just the, 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 the high priest who is just praying to him, interceding to him on behalf of us. But he's also the eternal high priest. He's always before the Father. There is not one second that passes by where Jesus is not interceding for us. Where Jesus is not doing something on behalf of us. So we looked at that. Now let's read Haggai chapter 1 verse 7 and 8. Haggai chapter 1. Verse 7 and 8. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you've brought us together, Abba. You have something very specific to give us, Father. And we are ready. We thank you, Abba, that you always are with us. Right now, you're here with us, Abba. For us who are tuning in from homes and different countries, different nations, you're with us. You're a with us God. Abba, so we look to you right now. We draw our strength from you. We look to you and we say we need you. We need you desperately, Abba. We need you. So Abba, I, I, create, I create room for you here, Abba. We create room for you here. In our thoughts. In what we speak in how we listen. We create room for you. You're the only one in this room who deserves all of our attention. And we will give you, Abba, all of our attention. Abba, there is not a day that goes by when you are not intentional. You're intentional today. There are certain specific things you want to accomplish in our lives. And we say yes to that. So, Father, help us. Help us to see what you're doing. Help us to participate in it. Help us to jump right in because you're saying, come down. And so we do that together as a body in Jesus' name. Hey, guys, chapter 1, 7 and 8. Here is what it says. Thanks, Sheldon. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored. Let's read that again. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. So this is Haggai the prophet speaking to two, two people. He's speaking this to Zerubbabel, the governor of Judea, and he's speaking this to Joshua, the high priest. And what God is saying here is something very specific. God is saying, come up the mountain. After 70 years in Babylon, now you're in Jerusalem. 
you're in the city that you want to rebuild. But before you do anything, I want you to know one thing. I want you to come up. I want you to come up so that you can gather wood. And then I want you to go down the mountain into the valley so that you can build for me a house there. And that's what God is telling us. I want you to come up the mountain. And then I'm going to send you. I'm going to prepare you. I'm going to equip you. I'm going to give you everything you need. And then I'm going to send you back into the valley of men. Because there are specific things that I want you to do there. Hey guys, chapter 1, 7 and 8. True for us today. God is saying, come up, Acts 29. Come up the mountain, not to stay on the mountain. Come up onto the mountain so that I can send you back down into the valley of men. Because for each of you, I have very specific things. Very specific things for Acts 29 to do. Very specific things for each of us to do. So come up. So we're going to look at what it means to go up the mountain. What it means to go down into the valley of men. How can we practically apply that in our lives? But here's the, here's the thing. When you go up the mountain, the view changes. When you're in the valley of men, you see things as you see. But on the mountaintop with God, the way we see things changes. The way we look at Vancouver changes. The way we look at our cities change. The way we look at the, our situations change. All of those things will change as soon as we see how God is seeing it. And God is saying, enough of staying in the valley. Come up so that I can show you my perspective of these things. And then I'm going to release you and I'm going to send you down. It's a lifestyle that God is calling us to where we are never settled in the valley. We are with God, but at the same time, God is sending us out into the valley. Because there are specific things. And I keep repeating that. I will keep repeating that all, to, all through today. There are very specific things. Very, very specific things for each of us to do. This is not something, one thing for Acts 29. For those of you guys who are listening from different cities in the world, very specific things for you to do. Very specific things for us to partake in. So it's not generic. It is specific. God is saying, I have things for you. And you do this by coming up the mountain so that I can send you back down into the valley of men. What does the latter days of glory look like? When God says the latter days of the church will be greater than the former days of the church, what does that look like? Abba, I want to see what that looks like. Father, we want to see what that looks like. You said in your word that the latter days of the church is greater than everything we have seen, experienced, heard. There is something greater that you're inviting us to. I don't know, Father, what that is. We don't know, Father, what that is. But we desire to see it. Show us that from your mountain. Show us that as we spend time with you. So that when we walk in the valley of men, we know what to expect. How can we... Expect God to function a certain way if we don't know what he's going to do. If we have no expectations of him. If our expectations of him are old, how can the latter days be greater? Because he is saying the latter days of our lives, the latter days of Acts 29, the latter days of, 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 of the world, of the church, is greater than the former days. So that's how we're going to go in. That's how we're going to prepare ourselves for this. Staying on the mountaintop is also pretty comfortable. It's very comfortable. Which is why God is saying, nah, I want you to go down. Because that's where I want you to spend your time. We used the, the, the line last time which said, we 
the church is supposed to go out into the world to bring the world into the church. The world will not come into the church unless we go from here into the world. The church is God's body. It's us. And for the world to see what the church looks like, we have to go out. And so we'll look at a few things today. The title of today's message is Trees. Mountain to the valley. Priest, mountain to the valley. And so in order for us to function the right way, function the way Christ, the eternal high priest, patterned it, it for us, what we're going to do is look at his life, look at what he did, and we'll do the same thing because we have to pattern our lives after our Savior, after Jesus. And the thing about Jesus' life here on earth is he knew exactly who sent him. He knew who he was sent to and he knew who he was. Jesus Christ knew who sent him. He knew who he was, his identity. And he also knew very importantly who he was sent to. And so for me and you and for us to function as priests here on earth, we have to know who we are. We have to know who sent us. We also, most importantly, need to know who we are sent to. Once all of these three things come together, then God is saying, come on, there are things awaiting you. And it's a lifestyle that Jesus exhibited. Matt, in, this is one verse that gets repeated in this church again and again and again. But we'll repeat it again. Matthew chapter 11, 27. It says, in the message version, it talks like this. This is a unique father-son operation flowing out of father-son intimacies and knowledge. No one knows the father like the son does. And no one knows the son like the father does. And if you're willing to listen, I'm going to share this with you line by line by line for anyone willing to listen. And so for today, if God is saying Acts 29, I want you to be priests here on earth in your city, then Jesus is also saying, I'm going to show this to you line by line by line if you're willing to listen. It comes out of father-son intimacies. And I lived it all my life. I still live it at the right hand of the father. If you're willing to listen, I'm going to show this to you. How to walk like priests here on earth. A lifestyle. And so this whole thing that we talked about the last few weeks and today, we're going to talk about it. It has nothing to do with doing and doing and doing. It's just a lifestyle that Jesus displayed. And we're looking at that and we are going to pattern our lives after that. So it's not, it is not a list of to-dos. It is a lifestyle. Because if it's a list of to-dos, we sink tomorrow morning or two days after. But if it's a lifestyle that our Father has patterned, our, our, our Savior has patterned for us, we can live that. Because he said, follow me. And he also said, it's easy. It's not difficult. He said it is easy. I will take you. I'll take you where, I need, where you need to go. It is easy. So let's look at, first of all, what this mountain actually means. When God says, come up the mountain, 
and then I'm going to equip you and I'm going to send you back into the world. What does that really look like? There are five different things I want us to look at. The first one is, this is a mountain of encounter and transformation. This is a mountain of encounter and transformation. And over the last few weeks, as we've been hearing this message, what Jacob started off, he's, he, he, he kept on saying, this is what Jesus did, and we have to pattern after that. But then look at our lives. Let's just take a second, a few seconds to look at our lives. There are so many realities that are pressing in. There are so many things that we are waiting on God for. There are things that we need help with. There are realities that we, are no, that we know we, we have been, we've been patiently waiting for God to come through. It's not that any of that has gone away. We still have our needs from God. We still are waiting for God to do things in our lives. He has shown himself faithful and good and kind. And so God is saying, with your realities, come up the mountain. It's not that your realities don't go away all day, a single day. No, come up the mountain with your realities. And I will show you a greater reality. And when I show you a greater reality or the greater reality, you can then go down into the valley of men. And you can do the specific things I will ask of you. As a church and as individuals. Moses was 80 years old when he had the encounter on the mountain. People lived a little long those days, but 80 years is still a long time. 80 years when he encountered God. And if we put, if we put ourselves in his shoes and look back, he messed up a few little things too on the way. Last 40 years were pretty particularly difficult because it was nothing like the first 40 years. And then God says, I'm going to show you certain things. And I'm going to change you. And the transformation that happens in our lives, it's not just for us. It is for everyone who follows. Because God is going to use us to touch certain lives, touch individuals. And the transformative work that he does in my life and in your life is not just for us. It's not just for us. It's for everyone who follows. It's for everyone who meets Christ through us, through whatever God wants to accomplish I won't name names, but there, there, there is someone sitting in this church, I think five, six years ago, when Pastor Chad came, uh, past, uh, Pastor Chad was prophesying over this person and said, I see a train of people behind you. I remember thinking about that later, thinking, wow, man, what a, what a vision God has when he looks at us. What a vision God has when he looks at us. A train of people behind you. So he's not just a God who looks at our lives and sees us, but he's also seeing the lives that are going to be touched because we say, yes, Father, we want to be used by you. We want to be priests on your behalf, on the behalf of the people who you are sending us to. We will do that. And God is saying, when I do my work in you, it's not just for yourself. It is for anyone who will follow me because you allowed them 
or because of your life, they encountered Christ. And God is a generational God. So in God's perspective, he's not just God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He's also a God of Paul and Timothy and Titus. Because he sees everything that's going to happen two years from now, six months from now, three years from now, ten years from now. He sees that. We may not see that today, but he sees it right now when he looks down at us. In this very room, when God is looking, he is seeing a train of people who aren't in this building yet, who you haven't met yet, but he is preparing you for them. And God then says, I, am, I will then, from this mountain of encounter and transformation, send you out into the valley. I want to read this verse. It's It's beautiful. It's John chapter 3.30. John chapter 3.30. It says, The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom stands and listens for him and is overjoyed to hear the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and it is now complete. He must increase, I must decrease. This is John the Baptist saying this. Read that again, because those two lines are something else. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom stands, and that is John the Baptist, and listens for him, the bridegroom, and is overjoyed to hear the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine, said John the Baptist, and it is now complete. He, Jesus, must increase, and I must decrease. When I read that, I go, this guy came into the scene, he broke into the scene, and he was baptizing people, he was preaching a message of uh, repentance. Tons of people are getting baptized. And all of a sudden, when he knows that Jesus is here, he says, look at that. The picture is almost, he's at the, in the corner of the room, and he's looking at Jesus and the bride. And he's saying, look at that. The voice of the bridegroom to his bride. It gives me joy. It gives me joy to see the bridegroom and the bride. And may I decrease and may he increase. So this work that God is doing in us, all of a sudden it topples our priorities in life. It all of a sudden topples everything we thought we want to do. Because he will say, not that, this. Not that, this. And Father, we want to do that. We want to be like John the Baptist, taking the corner, looking at Jesus and the bridegroom, and knowing, ah, the bridegroom is here. I want to hear the voice of the bridegroom to his bride. It gives me joy. May I decrease, and may he increase. Because we only read the last two lines. That's, those last two lines are the ones that are quoted often. But what is said before that, what, what transpired in John the Baptist's heart, wow. So changing affections, the, the things that we prioritize, those things will change. As God says, here is what I want you to do. Here is where I want you to go. Here is what I want you to think about for the next three days. I, w I don't want you to read this anymore. Instead, I want you to be reading this, this, and that. Because I am doing a work in you. And this work is not just about you. 
this work is for everyone you haven't even seen yet. But there are people waiting. And God has a vested interest in doing that. God has such a vested interest in making sure that this happens. Because all we got to do is look at our own lives. A year ago, six months ago, three months ago, how we were and how we are today. None of that happened because of us. All of that happened because of God. He has a vested interest in making sure that we mature. And we look more and more and more through our frailties, through our mistakes, through the bad decisions we make. It's not that it's all going to stop tomorrow. No, we'll still make mistakes. There will be still things that will be lacking. But he will build us up and build us up and build us up so that we will look more and more and more like Jesus. Because the world needs it desperately. Next, it's a mountain of rest. See, one thing about when we start talking about, hey, here are the things that God, God is calling us to. It's very, it's, it's natural to all of us and think, my goodness, there are so many things happening. How can I even do these things? Which is why God al always prepares us for that. And God says, I want you to come up the mountain so that you can rest in me. And rest is essentially just saying, Abba, I know your nature. I know your promises. I know who you are. I know how you deal with me. I know how you deal with people. And I am going to trust in you. The bits that you ask me to do, I'll do them. Nothing more, and then I'll sleep. And I'll wake up and do what you ask me to do. That is rest. Because what he is showing is just too big. What he is calling us to is just too big. And with human power, with our abilities, we can never accomplish it. We need all of his power. We need him. Not by strength, not by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord. These very words were said to Zerubbabel. Haggai spoke to him. But in Zechariah, the very words, not by might, not by power, but, my, but by my spirit, was said to Zerubbabel. And so, Father, we, we want to be like that. Not, none of this is going to happen by our thinking, by the way we want to do things, by our strength, by our numbers, by what we did in the past. No. But we're going to rest in you because we know who you are. We know how good you are. We can trust you, your promises, your character, your nature. So God may say, I want you to do these things at work. That's, I, I have these special instructions for you as to how you are to be at work. And then you may say, well, Father, there, are this ha there is this happening, and then this is coming, coming up, and then two weeks ago these things happened, and God says, what are the principles? What have I already told you? Maybe, I, maybe God has something very specific to say at that point, but it could also be that God just wants us to know, what are my principles? Well, keep order to do as work as if you're working for the Lord. That's it. And we sleep after we do that. Because when we sleep, his principles will go to work for you. Just do what he is asking us to do. I don't know for whatever reason, whenever I open YouTube, 
it's always about passive income. It's like, you do this and then you'll get, uh, <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> Anytime I open YouTube, it's about passive income. Anyone else like that or is it just me? Oh, it's just me? Okay. <laughs> I don't know why, man. It's always about passive income. But I was thinking, man, we don't need passive income. What, we, what is that? <laughs> we don't need passive income. What we need is, Abba, we'll do just what you ask us to do. So in every area of your life where you're, where you're saying, I don't know how this is going to work out. What are God's principles? Do just that and sleep. That is, that is what Jesus did. Jesus was doing the work that the father asked him to do. He gets on a boat. The disciples are with him. He sleeps. The disciples panic, but Jesus doesn't because Jesus knows who sent him. Jesus knows who he, who he is. Jesus already also knows what is going to happen on the other side. So he's prepared. So he can sleep. He knows that his father's nature is that when he says stop, the wind will stop. When he says stop, the storm will stop. The tides will stop. So let's do that. This mountain of rest where we just do the bits that God asks us to do. Sometimes for that particular situation, sometimes just straight out of the word and everything else we leave to him. And we stop striving when we do that. I was thinking, isn't it cool that our God has so many names? Anything that we need, he's already taken care of. Do you need provision? He's provider. Do you need protection? He's protector. Do you need a friend? He's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Do you need a father? He's a father. Are you not sure how the li our lives will look like after six months or a year? He's the author and perfecter of our faith. He's in control. Anything we need, he is what we need him to be. What the, des the desires we have, the needs we have, the requests we have, whatever we are waiting for, he will fill it. Because he is not just singular. He's, he, he's everything. He's everything. His name is Yahweh. It means he is. And then everything else, he is protector. He is good. He is kind. He is provider. He is the lamb, but he is also the lion. He is the prince of peace. He is the rock of my salvation. He is everything. Whatever I need today, whatever I need tomorrow, whatever we need in six months, He is that already. He is. There is no one like Him. There is no one like Him. I don't know what I will need three months from now, but I know this, He is already that. And that will allow us to go up this mountain. Because we know this mountain is a mountain of rest. Because we are not people who are trying to just do something because we just feel like we need to do something. We are people who do things because he said do it. And we will follow him. And he knows exactly what he wants us to do. All we got to do is be obedient and he will do the rest. The fact of the matter is we aren't even doing the whole thing. 
We are just doing this one thing he is asking us to do. Everything else is done by him. This is not on us. He is the one doing everything. He just wants us to be included. So it's a mountain of rest. This is from Genesis chapter 8, verse 4. You can read it later. In the seventh month, on the 17th day of the month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. Mountain of rest. Things are different. Things are going up and down perhaps around you. There, are so, there is so much noise, voice, realities in the valley. But before, before we go down, he prepares us for the valley. He'll tell us, rest in me. You'll be prepared for the valley. The valley of men. Third, mountain of direction. Psalm 32, 8. We all know this. I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. I will instruct you. I will teach you. And then I'll guide you with my, with my eye. It's like parents looking. At, it's, it's like Rachel looking at Shiloh. Shiloh just needs to look at Rachel's eye. That's all Shiloh needs to do. Because Shiloh will know if it's this way or that way, looking at Rachel's eyes. I'll guide you with my eyes. And these are very specific directions, specific directions that God will give us on this mountain. About our lives, but also about the lives of others. Also about what needs to happen in the valley of men. Very specific directions about how something is to happen in someone else's life. Very specific directions about what is to happen in a city. Specific directions about what is to happen in your neighborhood. This is a mountain of direction. And this direction, he, he's so kind in how he does this. I remember. When Jeevan and I, we went to uh, Missions Fest a couple of years ago. And uh, I was manning a booth. Jeevan was doing something else. After that, we felt like we should just go, you know, attend a few seminars. So we go attend the seminar. It was about business and mission. It was kind of boring. So Jeevan fell asleep. <laughs> I was going to fall asleep too. <laughs> but then all of a sudden God said, Namibia. That's all, that's all what was heard. Namibia. And after that, we walk around. Both of us are engineers, so we like tech stuff, right? No, I don't. He does. But uh, we're walking around. And as we're walking around, there is this one booth. 
And this booth uh, is a radio transmission um, or radio ministry company. And there is a ma there's this lady, she's much older, and uh, she's waiting there. We just go there, talk to her for a few minutes. Right behind her, there is this map. And when I heard Namibia initially, I just told God, okay, Father, I heard Namibia. Whatever you want to do, I want to listen. And as we are talking with this lady, right behind her is this map. And as soon as my eyes fall on the map, it falls on Namibia. And there is this, um, the, the map, uh, Sheldon knows this because I shared this with Sheldon. The, the map has pins on it all across Africa and other parts of the world because they're a global ministry. But Namibia doesn't have a pin on it. So that was like, what is that? So I sensed the father say, there is more. Continue. So I start asking her questions, and she's like, I don't really know why we don't have any pins here on you know, Namibia. My husband runs the ministry, and he's busy on the other side. Why don't you give me, why don't I give you my contact information? And then write to me. But I knew very specifically, God was saying, the wind is blowing in this direction. The wind is blowing. So chase it. That's where you need to go. The next Monday, I write to this lady, and she copies her husband and says, hey, this is a guy I met at the booth, and here is what all that happens over the next couple of weeks is I start calling Alan. He's pretty famous, apparently. He's the president of <laughs> Galcom International, and I start talking with him. I talk to him about Namibia, and it uh, stirs up his heart, and what happened in the span of the, nec the next two years, this happened two years ago, is that for 10 years, Alan was praying for reaching, uh, so for helping reach, uh, helping the gospel reach communities that are on the outskirts of civilization. They have these radio panels, so it's like a small box that can play the whole gospel, that can play the, in, in whatever language, because they've got tons of languages, translations done already, it'll just play the Bible. So they've got these devices, but the only problem is these devices will not work if you can't have a tower in that area. But if because these are all remote communities, you can't have towers because there is no electricity. So for 10 years, Alan has been praying a prayer, which is, Father, you've got to help me put towers in places where there is no electricity. And it just so happens that I knew exactly who he was to connect to. And in two years, we now have projects in Liberia, Haiti, and another place where remote communities, no electricity, but power station or radio towers are being installed. There is one coming up in Lilouet, in northern BC, here. No power there in that particular area, but they're putting a solar thing on top of it. All that happened in this thing was Namibia and God say, follow this. Namibia hasn't quite happened yet, but in Liberia a project is happening, but Namibia is coming next. It's amazing that God just says one word, or he may say this direction, and all we need to know is that there is something about this that God is saying, the wind is blowing in this direction. So Father, I don't really know what is going to happen, but if you say Namibia, or if you say Africa, or if you say this place, if you say wherever you want me to go, I will, I will follow it, because I know that the wind blows. And all I am supposed to do is follow the wind. Follow the wind. All I am supposed to know is where is the wind blowing farther? So on the mountain of direction, 
Father, today, where is the wind blowing? Where is the wind blowing? Where are you asking me to go? Because what we can do in 15 years, 5 years, he can accomplish in 5 minutes. And he wants us to, if we can just live like that, where just his directions, just what he is saying, that will allow us to do everything that we are to do in life. Number four, this is the mountain of resurrection power. Mountain of resurrection power. I want us to read Ephesians chapter 1, 19 to 21. Ephesians chapter 1, 19 to 21. Read it. Let's read it together. Chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 1, 19 to 21. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. I'll read it again. I also pray that you, Acts 29, you, those who listen, will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at Christ's right hand in the heavenly realms. So the same power that raised Christ Jesus up from the dead and seated him on the right hand of God, that same power is available for us. And when we go from the valley to the mountain, the world desperately needs that power. The world desperately needs that power. And Jesus modeled it for us. And he said after what, everything he did, he said, greater things shall you do. He said it. And as he shows us his resurrection power, which is at, at work in our lives, let's expect this resurrection power. To go to work. Because we are not talking about a power that we need to plead for. Something that God doesn't want to give us. And we need to do something to, to, for God to give it to us. He's saying, Paul is saying, this power is available for those who believe him. This power is available for those who believe him. So this power is available for me. It is available for us. For everything that God asks us to do in the valley. The world needs power. 
This is the same power that made Peter, who was hesitant to even say the word Jesus, say the name Jesus, the same power enabled preacher to, Peter to preach to 3,000 people in Acts chapter 4. I want to read um, a verse because I just feel like we need to go back to the verse that we were reading out uh, when we were talking about revival. It's from Isaiah chapter 44. Let's go back and read that because that's the resurrection power of God. Isaiah chapter 44. I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. They shall spring up among the grass like willows by the flowing waters. This one will say, I am the Lord's. Another will call on the name of Jacob. And another will write on his hand, the Lord's, the na and name himself by the name of Israel. When we are needy, when we say, we don't know how to go about this, Father. When we say the ground is dry, it's arid. When we say we need it, we need help. He says, I'm going to pour water on dry and thirsty land. So the less we have is good. Because there is more space for him to fill. The less I have is good. Because there is more space for him to fill. The less we have is good. So when we feel like we are not able. We don't have it in us. It's good. Because it allows him to come running down. And he'll give us everything we need. He'll fill it. And it will overflow. So we are actually in perfect shape for this. Because we don't have what it takes. But with him, with him it is possible. Because these are the verses that we read for the revival, which is happening, which God is doing. Which God is doing. Today, he will continue to do it. He will pour water on dry and thirsty lands. He will do it. <laughs> it is his resurrection power. It is the same water that as we've been talking about for months now, it will touch those dead things and dead things will come to life. Because it is his power. It is just natural for certain things to happen. It is his power. It is his power. Resurrection power. And let's take, I want to take a minute if we need to take a minute. For us to think this. The same power that resurrected Jesus from the dead. And seated him at the right hand of God. That same power is in us. It is truth. And the world needs it. And God says, this is a mountain of resurrection power. I'll, I'll, I'll cause you to see the things that you've always desired to see. The dead will rise up. The lame will walk. The blind will see. The mute will speak. A valley of dry bones, it will become an army. The mighty river, it will touch things. And dead things will come to life. These are his words and his words will come to pass. And we better be prepared for it because we'll be expecting this on a daily basis. 
on a daily basis father this is your resurrection power and so when i go into the world i expect to see your power at work because this very power that you talked about this is resident in me the same power that lift that raised jesus up from the dead is in me and i expect it to flow out of me not because i am great but because you're good and you want this to happen for the world that's the only reason and he chooses all of us to do it even though we don't have any qualifications but just because we are sons just because we are his just because we say yes abba we want to be priests for our cities and the nations and the neighborhoods and those around us it will happen i am confident it will happen it will happen we should get excited about this we should genuinely get excited about this because this is god's heart for us we don't need anyone to make us do anything but because god is saying this is the time he's been saying that since last year this is the time this is the time it is happening we will hear stories we will see things because he said he'll do it he said he'll do it and so father we as a church even right now abba we say yes to what you said already abba you're you're good you're good you are your thoughts are above my thoughts your thoughts are above our thoughts your ways are higher and when you say you will bring it to pass your word says light shines in the darkness and darkness shall not comprehend it so your light the great light that people saw it is going to shine abba it is shining but we're going to see a greater a greater work abba and we want it father we want it we desire it and we say yes to it and you're saying there is power available there is power in you know that this is the truth this is the reality you don't think of yourselves like this but this is the truth this is what i am telling you so that you are aware of what who you are my son jesus was aware of not only who i am he was also aware of who he was you better be aware of who you are so that you can engage and impact the valley of men last one mountain of dwelling place or mountain of presence this is the best part where god says on this mountain you will know more than ever that my presence is with you and as i sent you down into the valley you're not going on your own i'm with you my presence is with you jesus is standing right next to me jesus is standing right next to you he's with you he's with you so it's a mountain of presence whereas we go do these things that god is asking us to do in whatever ways he wants us to do these things his presence is with us so this mountain is not just about god transforming us it's not just about rest it's not just about direction for us and others it's not just about resurrection power this is 
a mountain of presence where God who said, I want to dwell amongst you. God who said, I live amongst you. He wants to dwell amongst people who haven't known him yet, who don't know him yet. And this is a mountain of presence. I'm not only sending you, I'm going with you, and I'm in, I'm in you. Guys, I know that we need to remind ourselves of this, because these are things that we know. But we need to remind ourselves so much about this, that his presence is with me, always. And it, may, it equips me to do whatever he's asking me to do. His presence is with me. So people cannot go up to the mountain if I don't come down to the mountain and engage and impact the valley of men. I want to read this verse, Isaiah chapter 2, verse 3. So we first read Haggai chapter 1-7, which is consider your ways, come up the mountain, and then I'm going to send and collect the wood so that you can go down and build the temple. Second verse. Isaiah 2, 3. This is what Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted among, above the hills and all nations will stream to it. All nations will stream to it. Many peoples will say, come let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, the house of God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. So people cannot go up to the mountain if I don't come down from the mountain and engage and impact the valley. This is what God has been telling us. Go down the mountain. I've given you everything you need. You're ready go down the mountain, into the valley. And Jesus did all of these things. And we're going to look at just a few th stories, but comprised into small one-liners, really. How, how did Jesus do it? And how am I supposed to do it? Number one, I come down the valley into hostile Samaria. I come down from the valley into hostile Samaria, out of my comfort zone, out of what I like. I'm an extrovert, so I like extroverts. I'm an introvert, so I like introverts. I'm an ambivert, so I am like ambiverts. No, I love all people. Jesus loved everyone, everyone. He was friends with everyone. He didn't have personality types. He didn't have that person is kind of different than me. No. Everyone, out of the comfort zone, out of the comfort zone, out of comfort, through hostile Samaria. Then I come down from the mountain, conferring worth upon people, not judgment. Conferring worth upon people, not judgment. I pray that even right now you can think about people in your lives on whom you need to confer worth, not judgment. 
because we do have people in our lives where they may, may have made mistakes. Jesus did this with the woman caught in the act of adultery. Everyone was ready to, thro to throw stones at her. Jesus conferred her dignity, worth, not judgment. We must come down the mountain to go into the valley as priest kings, priest kings, but as people who are aware of who the other person is, made in the image of God. The other person is made in the image of God. Meaning that person is a representative of God. We'll read a verse a little later that Jesus spoke about. But Aware, aware of who the other person is. I come down and associate with outsiders, lepers. And whoever outsiders are for you. My outsiders may be different from your outsiders, which may be different from other person's outsiders. But Jesus came down from the, from the mountain to engage people who were outsiders. For him, these were lepers, Samaritans, prostitutes, fishermen. And he came down not just to meet the physical, the, not just to meet the spiritual needs. He also came down to meet the physical needs. Think about it. Can you think of people in your life today? Or you may have acquainted in the last few days, weeks, months, years. Who need something physical, not spiritual. Because you can give spiritual too. But Jesus gave physical help. You must come down from the mountain because people in the valley cannot call for help if they don't know who God is. I remember when we were um, in Langley, one day we were talking to this person and we, we asked this person, what do, you, what do you want? And this person said, I just want some peace. But if they know that Jesus Christ is the Prince of Peace, so come down the mountain and go to the valley and tell people who our father is so that they know that they can call out to them, call out to him. This is, this is witnessing. I've witnessed Jesus to be this in my life and I'm sure he can be this for you as well. Do you want peace? There was a time when I did not have peace and he gave me peace and he gave this peace freely. I did not pay for it. I did not give anything for this and I know that he can give you the same peace freely so think of someone let's make it as practical as we possibly can make it think of someone even as you wrote this down people who who you can engage with and impact and ask god for directions for people who are going to come your way in the next day days where you can do this.
if something happened uh, last week, I think Mark was sharing this with a few people during the break. Two weeks ago, Pavan, Bishop, Don, Mark, and I, Bishop as in James. <laughs> Hello, Bishop. Hope you're doing well, bro. Uh, we were in uh, Wally. So we decided we'll split into two groups, and uh, we were walking around. And uh, I was alone for a bit, and as I took a turn, I, I saw Don and Mark praying for someone. And as I'm walking, he's this person who they are praying for starts lifting his hands, and he's praying. And for me, it was, was, was a beautiful moment, because I am walking, took a turn, I am walking, and I can see this man, hands lifted up, genuine, genuinely praying to God. Because these two guys went to him and said whatever they said, and he was in need. And he's sincerely praying. You should have heard that prayer. Sincerely praying that in the past I've done these things. I know you're real, but I went away and you send these people. And he's praying. He's crying out to God. Simple interactions. But isn't it, it is the most valuable thing in the kingdom. It is the most valuable thing in the kingdom. We're all here. We know what we know from the Bible. But if there is someone who is a lost sheep, that one sheep is more valuable. It's simple things. Simple things. But two people praying, showing him who Christ is and that Christ sent us to you. And that was enough for this man. He, can, he could have reacted. Do you, do you realize he could have reacted any which way? But he chose to react in a way where, where he engaged with the father. He said, I need you. But the cool thing that happened is, a couple weeks later, Mark, even yesterday, he met them again. This time, and that day, he met his wife as well in the, in the mall, in, the, in Surrey Central. Yesterday, Mark met them again. So it's not a one-time thing anymore either. This is a relationship developing, where they're sharing things about their lives, where this person who came to two weeks ago is someone they can trust. May God do whatever God wants to do. But things are changing. So it's simple. Whatever God asks of us. These two verses, I want to read it because this is what's happening. The first, he will teach us of his ways. So we'll be able to accurately, we are able to accurately live what God has said in his word and then provide instructions for accurate living. That, that's what priests are supposed to do. Provide instructions for accurate living. Priests are meant to provide instructions for accurate living. And those instructions come from the word. You can read the reference later, Malachi chapter 2, 6 and 7. Secondly, it says, walk in his paths. So we first model it. We model that behavior and that pattern of accurate living based on the word. The thing with Pharisees was that they could teach it, but they couldn't live it. And God is saying, you live it. 
what you're teaching, you live it. So internalize everything that our father is, our Christ is, his walk, his nature, his character, the way he operated. And when you're in the world, do not be seduced by the king's wine and meat. When you're in the world, do not be seduced by the king's wine and meat. I think I shared this before. Maybe yes, maybe, maybe yes. I'll share it again. I remember when I was a kid, I read this thing on the cover of a book that said, be loyal to those who are absent. I read it and I also knew that this is not from the Bible, that very line, but this is a principle of God for sure. I knew that. And I always had it in my mind. Some, some things, it sticks with you. Be loyal to those who are absent. Remember this one trip I went to? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Diana. Yes. Be loyal to those who are absent. Be loyal to those who are absent. So I read this, and this, it just stuck with me all the years. And a few years ago when I went on a business trip, it was a big thing that was supposed to happen, and I'm sitting down with prominent people from a city. Um, and I'm sitting down, I'm talking, and someone passes a joke about someone who is not there. And I laughed. I remember laughing. As soon as I laughed, I realized, what did you just do? You just laughed at a comment made about someone else who is not at the table. And that dinner was going very good, like the best way it could have been. In a matter of two or three minutes, it shifted upside down. And what was supposed to happen, it was almost like the whole reason we were there was supposed to just go down the drains. Remember that night, I went back to my hotel room and I told God, I messed up. This is something, for whatever reason, you have put in my heart, and it's important for me. And I know that I made a mistake. I told God that. Next morning, everything was back to normal. He restored it. He redeemed what was lost. But I was able to see very quickly how such a small thing, such a small thing affects his heart. Where there are things that he has put in us that are special. Some things may not be... Something may not be cool, but there are things planted in your heart by God. There is a reason why there are specific things in your heart that are important for you. They're based on his character. They're based on his word. Never move, move away from it. Model it. Build it. Pattern it. So that you can then take it to someone else and say, this is who my God is. Next. God's life principles his precepts, his commands for the nations will go out of us. And we do this by patterning things through long relationships. Through long relationships. We pattern things. This is who my God is. I live it. I then teach it. I model it through long relationships. And in, in the course of time, neighborhoods, Cities, nations will be affected. In the process, we will gather, shepherd, and transform neighborhoods one life at a time. In the process, we will gather, shepherd, and transform neighborhoods one life at a time. And fourth one, proclaim the word of the Lord. Let the word be seen through your flesh. Let's live it out. 
let's live it out and so when i relate to the people in the valley i relate to them as people made in the image of god and every man is made in god's image every man let's read one last passage and we'll close seeing every man as god's image this is matthew chapter 25 35 to 40 matthew chapter 25 35 to 40 for i was hungry and you gave me something to eat i was thirsty and you gave me something to drink i was a stranger and you invited me in I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you sick or in prison or go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. so regardless of what people may have done in the past the people we meet the robe the ring the sandal the fattened calf and the father is waiting for them the robe the ring the sandal the fattened calf and above all the father is waiting for them I want to finish with one last thing, which is yesterday I was driving, and while I was driving, I, I like driving around uh, along Surrey Avenue, U.S. in Canada. It's just a good stretch of road, no vehicles really much. And when I was driving yesterday evening, a deer, actually two, hopped two hops from Canada into the states. It was pretty cool to to see it. because they are crossing the road but on one side is canada on the other side is us i was thinking man this is what happens in the kingdom all of a sudden from one one place in life to the kingdom of god one decision all of a sudden the rules change all of a sudden they may have been hunted they may have been preyed upon but in this land there is a new king he cares he binds up your wound he gives you a, an oil of gladness he pours it upon your head it's a new it's a king who cares about you in two hops from one country to another and maybe see that in our lives with people we engage and impact so father we thank you we want to live out everything you've asked us to abba we will be foolish we will do what you ask us to do we can only rely on you and on your strength but we want to empty ourselves so that everything you want to accomplish will happen through us we are your people and you are our god we say yes to everything you ask us to lead us lead us in jesus name amen
Mohit. Uh, is Heidi here? Uh, here. So a few days ago, uh, Jacob asked me to um, seek the Father about a word for a nation that God has given us or is going to give us. And um, when um, Derek was speaking about the mountain of direction, this is kind of a directional word in a sense. So this is a word for Bangladesh. Bangladesh, God has blessed you with a fertile land. It is reflected in the green of your flag. Your trust has been in the blood of those that have fought for your political freedom in and in the bondage placed on you by religion. Starting now, when people will look at your flag, they will see the red circle in the center differently like the Israelites looking at the pole in the desert, looking at the cross where Jesus shed his blood so that you will find healing, forgiveness, restoration, freedom. He opens the door for you to see his light. The people in Bangladesh who walk in darkness have seen a great light. For those who lived in a land of deep shadows, light, sunbursts of light. You repopulated the nation. You expanded its joy. Oh, they are so glad in your presence. Festival joy. The joy of a great celebration, sharing rich gifts and warm greetings. The abuse of oppressors and cruelty of tyrants. All their whips and clubs and curses is gone. Done away with a deliverance as surprising, as sudden, as Gideon's old victory over Midian. And I read it again. Bangladesh, God has blessed you with a fertile land. It is reflected in the green of your flag. Your trust has been in the blood of those that have fought for your political freedom and in the bondage placed on you by religion. Starting now, when people will look at your flag, they will see the red circle in the center differently. Like the Israelites looking at the pole in the desert, looking at the cross where Jesus shed his blood, so that you will find healing, forgiveness, restoration, freedom. He opens the door for you to see his light. The people in Bangladesh who walked in darkness have seen a great light. For those who lived in a land of deep shadows, light, sunbursts of light. You repopulated the nation. You expanded its joy. Oh, they are so glad in your presence. Festival joy, the joy of a great celebration, sharing rich gifts and warm greetings, the abuse of oppressors and cruelty of tyrants, all their whips and clubs and curses is gone, done away with, a deliverance as surprising, as sudden as Gideon's old victory over Midian.
So we just want to um, respond to what's been said today and um, just do that before we close. And so I'm just going to pray. So Father, we thank you for... I want to go back to the very beginning, Father. We started this service today talking about how your goodness follows us, how you are beautiful. And when we, when we can see you as beautiful, we really are recognizing something that's worth our pursuit, something that's worth our desire, something that's worth our all, Father. If we think something is beautiful, we'll sell anything for it. We'll lay down our lives for it. And so, Father, that's what we want to do. We want to... You've invited us up this mountain, Abba. You've been preparing us on, us on this mountain. And you continue to prepare us, but it's time that we no longer stay on the mountain. It's time that we step out of our comfort zones. It's time that we take what you have given us and we take it down into this valley, Father, so that we're not the only ones who can see your beauty. We're not the only ones who understand that your goodness and your mercy and your kindness and your protection follow us, that they are with us in everything we do. But it's time that we start taking it out into the world so that the world can see your goodness, so that they can see your kindness, so that they can see that they have a father, that they are no longer orphans, but they can come into sonship with a father who loves them, with a father who is good, with a father who is pure, with a father who is kind, who doesn't raise their, his hand against them. But the only thing he does with his hand is take their hand and walk with them. Just as you're walking with us, Father. Just as you had this word for Bangladesh, Father, that you're bringing our neighborhoods, our cities, our nations to light for you. May we see greater things, Abba. May we see greater things, not in 10 years, not in 15 years, but starting this week. May we start walking with you in a new level. May we step up, Father. May we step up so that we can take you down this mountain with us because we're not going on our own, Father. We're going with you. We're walking with you. So I thank you for this invitation, Father. I pray that we take everything that's been said today and that we don't just think about it, Father, but we put it into action in our lives. Because it can be easy to think about a lot of things. It can be easy to say, okay, I'll think about it and then I'll decide how to proceed. But we need to sometimes stop thinking and start actually walking, start operating, start listening to you each day. And not saying, oh, but I can't do that today. This is my list of things for today. But that we hear what you say and we're willing to put aside our list for the day and step out in your list, in your invitation to walk with you in each moment of every day. Because just as Derek was saying, that it's not about doing things. It's about walking with you. It's about listening to what you have. It's about being in relationship with you so that we can hear your direction, so that we can walk in your paths, Abba. So I thank you, Father. I thank you. For those in this room and those who are watching online, those who may watch in the future, that this will be a new beginning, a new beginning of surrendering our lives to you, of getting up each moment with one purpose, and that purpose is to hear our Father and to walk with our Father, no longer on our own, but to walk with you and you alone, Abba. 
in everything we're doing, in our jobs, in our families, in our marriages, in our relationships, in our friendships, in our family relations, Father. That we walk with one purpose, to hear our Father's voice and to do as he says. So I thank you, Abba. I thank you for this time. I just bless everybody here. I send everybody here out into their weeks. Yeah, I send everybody here out into their weeks. We all go as sent ones. Sent into this week with your protection, your provision, your blessing to display you to the world around us. So I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great week, everybody.